Hey, I think we are live now. Yes. Hey, welcome. This is Jack L Jack Kelly. Let's go live with Jack Kelly, but with this new feature of the future of work. So today I want to talk about something that it's kind of a new trend. Some of it, you're not going to like a lot of it. You may not like, but don't worry. It's a happy ending. It's going to, it's going to work out all well. So the job market is definitely heating up. When you compare what's going on now to where it was even a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, six months ago, we are in a far better shape. There are more jobs. The JOLTS report, that's kind of an acronym for, I don't know what it stands for, but it's the government gives figures out how many jobs are out there. I don't know how they count that, but there's like 9.3 million new jobs that are out there. That's amazing. That's huge. Now, it doesn't mean that those are all great jobs. You know, they doesn't mean that they're all perfect jobs for you, but they're out there. It shows the, the big change from now where you have 9.3 million jobs compared to where it was six months ago, which was pretty bad. Now, with the jobs heating up, I just wrote about this today in Forbes, with the jobs heating up, the complaints from angry job seekers is going higher. They're going up too. And I wonder if there's a little correlation between the two. I think there is. So what's happened is this. I talked about this in, in a prior LinkedIn Live where this guy, Mike Conley, who is a software developer, he was looking for a leadership position and one interview, two interviews, three interviews, four interviews, and it looked like they want him to go in nine, 10, 11 interviews. And finally he said, enough is enough. That seems, that just seems excessive. It seems a waste of my time. It's, it shows that maybe you guys don't know what you're doing. He, he posted this on LinkedIn, which went viral because so many people empathized with him. So many people, it resonated with them where they were like, me too. He, uh, the guy had like 2 million views and counting about 40,000 plus comments, reactions, all that kind of stuff. But then it spawned a whole bunch of other people posting similar things, which thousands of more. So it really resonated. And with, with LinkedIn, it's, it's not meant to go viral. That's not the thing. It's more of a serious-minded, white-collar-ish kind of uh, platform, social media platform, where you're networking one-on-one, -on -one, making connections, things like that. So, so in other places, you hear those numbers, you may be, yeah, no big deal. But you have to have it in the context of what we're talking about. And within this context, this is huge. And what's huge, it just shows that there's so much pent-up angst and frustration and anger among job seekers, where they feel that they're being taken advantage of. They feel that they're, they're, they're not treated fairly, that they're not given any you know, dignity or respect. And when you have literally tens of thousands, I think there's about 40,000 just on one of Mike's pages. And you know, I wrote something about it, which got thousands of also comments and other folks as well. So when that happens, it's not, it's not a glitch. It's not a one-off. It's, it's emblematic of a trend that's happening. And I think the trend that's happening, and I hope this won't continue, I don't think it can continue, is that the companies aren't really treating people fairly. 
they're making them go in so many interviews. They get ghosted. There's no feedback. There's no apologies when there's no feedback and that you get ghosted. It just seems very cold and harsh. Now, to put things in perspective, this, this, this um, LinkedIn Live is not to just complain and moan and groan how bad it is. I'm just setting the stage so people who are watching this now and will watch it when we upload it and clean this up because it kind of I do this very raw. The whole idea is I'm just going to kind of talk straight from the heart, transparent, and and no bells and whistles. Uh, but then when we post it, we, you know, we clean we'll clean it up a little later on for people who want to watch it to edit a little bit. So that being said, what's happening is that there are more jobs, more opportunities, but the process is really clunky. If if you're if you've been interviewed, you could you could probably appreciate what I'm saying. Interviews are canceled at the last minute. They pressure you to go on an interview when you don't have the time. There are long lags in between interviews where you have no idea what's going on. As I mentioned before, you get ghosted. What I like to suggest now is let's look at some positive things that can be done. I'm a very kind of forward-looking, let's be productive. You know, let's not dwell on all the negativity. Let's look at something positive or let's look at how we can make it better. Does it, that makes sense, right? You know, because it's easy to complain. And, and I, I complained, I got it off my chest. I feel way better. You know, I'm like, okay, I felt, I stood up for my fellow job seekers out there who are going through this and sharing their pain and, and, and letting them know that it's not just you, this is going across the board. But that being said, now let's, let's just figure out how do we make it better? So here's some radical ideas. Some radical, not so much. Say radical makes it sound much much like, ooh, tell me about it. I want to hear about this radical stuff. So, so it's, it's, I would suggest, and I don't know if this will happen, but I've been promoting the four-day work week, flexible work schedules, abbreviated shorter days. I've been writing about companies like Kickstarter, countries like Iceland who've been putting this into place. So things are possible now. I think in this new world that we're in, in this post-pandemic world, things are possible. Remote work on scale, no one would have believed it would happen, but over the last year and a half, it happened. So to me, that means everything and anything is possible. You can't just say, okay, it's always been done this way. You say, well, it's always been done one way, but look, now we did something completely different that worked. So one of the things I would suggest is simple. I could tell you from 25 years of recruiting and doing LinkedIn Lives, we'll have guests. It's not easy to interview people. It's actually really hard. It seems easy because when people do it well, like take your favorite podcaster, or your favorite you know, news interviewer. If they're good at it, they make it seem so easy. But that's like everything. If you're a musician and, and you know, whatever instrument you play, you're amazing at, it seems effortless when they do it. If you're a sports figure, whether it's football or baseball or what have you, you look and go, oh my God, that's so easy. I can do that. Well, that's the key, that's the trick. The ones who are really good at it make it look easy, but it's not. We all know it's hard work to learn the cello. It's hard work to get into the major leagues in baseball. Almost impossible to get to those high levels. 
So with interviewing, it's very similar. It's not easy to do, but it seems like you would think it's easy to do. So I believe what happens is senior executives of companies basically say, hey, Joe, hey, Jane, can you interview Jack? And they're just going to presume they know what to do. And it's weird, because why would you presume that? You would think, hey, John, Jane, have you ever interviewed before? Do you have any idea how to interview? Do you know what questions to ask? Do you have experience doing it? Do you feel comfortable doing it? Would you rather someone else do it? So what I, what I see, and now maybe uh, uh, what I'm saying here, just so you know, I'm generalizing, because I'm sure people who are watching say, wait, no, that's not how it is at my place. And it may not be. And I'm not, I'm not saying here, it's one size fits all, and that's what it is. Everything's be different. I'm talking general generalities, but earring tours happens more often than not. Is, is that fair? Is that okay for to set that ground with that? I'm not saying this happens every single company with every single person, but on a whole, on average, it happens more than it doesn't happen. So what happens more than it doesn't, where people go, um, they're put out to interview, but they don't have the training. They're not going to, I don't want to say school for it, but they're not giving coursework for it. They're not giving guidance. They're not taking instructions. They're not taking classes. They're not doing um, mock interviews on their own to get better and better at it. They just go out there and interview. And that's one of the reasons why they ask all these cliche questions. Tell me about yourself. Where do you see yourself in five years? What's a victory you have? What's, uh, what's your, what are you good at? What are you bad at? You know, what are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? And the reasons I think, in my opinion, why they do that is because they're not trained what to do. So you default to these very bland, cliche questions because you can't go wrong asking those questions. Because if you ask the questions, the interviewee's going like, all right, I, I'm expecting these because the standard. But what I found out over the years for recruiting, I'm much more effective when I have a normal conversation with somebody, when I just talk to them like a human being and I don't ask these trite, cliche, stereotype questions. I really want to know the person. I want to get a sense of who they are, what they're about, what makes them tick. Why, why are they looking for a job? What do they do? What are they good at? What do they like doing? Why are they looking? Why are you, and what kind of job do you want? And I find out if you have this organic, real conversation, people open up. And they, and, they, and they talk to you and they tell you what they really feel and what they're really thinking. And then when you have that, then you could help them because you get it. And it might be that I have the right job for them, or maybe I don't, but at least we're on the same wavelength. And I could say, yeah, I have this great job. This is fantastic. Or I might unfortunately have to say, you know, given what you're looking for in your background, I don't have anything right now but I'm glad I made your acquaintance. Let's keep in touch. And when those jobs come up, I'll, I'll work with you on it. Now, if you're thrown out, if you're a hiring manager, just, just tossed out there and say, okay, interview. It's hard to do it. You're going to ask the basic questions, the cliche questions. The interviewee is going to tense up because they're waiting for this, like oh, another one of these questions, you know, oh, gotta, I got to go through. So, okay, here's what, here's my weakness. My weakness is I work too hard and I spend too many hours in the office and I'm too awesome. That's my weakness. I mean, it's silly. So if you had people, if you had people who actually would train what to say, what to do, how to do it, 
I think would make the experience much better for both the candidate and the person who's interviewed. I'll go one step further. Now, this, this, this might seem radical, but again, think about it. Remote work was radical. Now, what we're doing with hybrid work is kind of radical. So things are on the table. Before you roll your eyes and think this will never happen, remote, we all said remote work would never happen. And it happened. Why don't companies get somebody who's dedicated towards recruiting, towards interviewing? So rather than making a hiring manager and all the other people involved be the interviewers, all of a sudden, you're not a tax accountant, you become an interviewer. You're not a banker, you're becoming an interviewer. You're not a compliance officer, you're an interviewer. If you think about it, it doesn't make sense. Wouldn't it make more sense if you have somebody from the company who's an internal talent acquisition person or who's an internal recruiter who's really good at interviewing? Put that person in the interview process. So now picture this, you have that internal talent acquisition person who understands the company, the company's culture, understands what goes on behind the scenes, knows the job, knows responsibilities. Now they may not be an expert in what the person does. So that dedicated, that dedicated, dedicated recruiter or interviewer rather would sit down with the hire manager together and between the two of them, they'll ask questions. So the dedicated interviewer could do what I mentioned before, develop a rapport, make the person feel comfortable, get from them what they're looking to do, why they're looking to leave, why they'd be a good fit in a very conversational way. But then you could turn to the hiring manager or managers, and they could then ask specific questions about the job that the dedicated person may not know about. So the two together are stronger because clearly a dedicated recruiter is not gonna know the nuances of every single job. They're not gonna know about accounting and, and sales and trading or brokerage or film, whatever the industry may be, they may know just general, but then the hiring manager understands that role specifically and then could weigh in on the specific, hey Jack, do you do X? Do you do why? And then it could drill down. But between the two, it could be much more productive. Right? Not a bad idea. Pretty interesting. Now, is that going to happen overnight? No. Could it happen? Maybe. I think if enough people start bringing up ideas like I'm doing here, they could take hold. They could take hold. It could be the four-day work week. It could be abbreviated hours, shortened hours for the work week. It could be staggered flexible hours. There's so many things we can do moving forward with the future of work to make life better for people. And when people feel better about themselves, guess what? They're not gonna mind working as much. They're gonna be more productive because they're happier. It makes sense, doesn't it, right? Think about it. If you're going in and let's say you have childcare issues, and, and, and you're stressed and you don't know how you have to get your child to school, to preschool, to kindergarten, to childcare, and, and, you, and you have to race into the office or you have to race on that Zoom call and it's stressed. But imagine 
your manager says, don't worry. It's cool. If, if, if you have to do this, start your day at 10 or 11 and we'll figure it out. We'll have a flexible schedule for you that it works around your, your, your needs so that you don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxiety ridden. You can do your job, not worrying because everything is taken care of. Now that person is going to be super excited and appreciative and happy. And the company is going to get a very loyal worker because they say, I really appreciate you just made my life so much better. Same thing with these little things. We could add these things on. They're not really crazy to do. So you have a dedicated um, interviewer, which seems to make sense. You train the interviewers so that they really know what they're doing and really good at it and can be really effective at it. Another thing I would say is you need this mechanism in place. So let's say I, I, I talked about that guy, Mike Conley, a little while back where he's going on about 11 interviews. Maybe 11 is necessary. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It depends on the job, depends on the company, depends on a lot of variables. But I would say once you get past two or three or four interviews, I think some senior person within the company, within HR, whether within the business unit or, or someone related to this matter should step in and they should say, hey, Jack, you're, you know, you know, Susan has been going on three interviews. And then you have a bunch of other people who also are in the third or fourth interviews. Could you walk me through what's, what's happening here? Why is that happening? Is it necessary? How many more interviews are you going to go on? Or are you going to have them on? Do you need some guidance? Do you need some help? And this wouldn't be as if a boss being a jerk. It really would be more information gathering. You know, trying to figure out why is this happening? Why do you need all these interviews? Why do you need to incorporate 10 other people? Now, they may have a valid reason. They may say, hey, in this job, they're going to have to work with the accounting division, the operations division. They have to work with the marketing group over here. And it's really important that they all work together. Okay, that makes sense. Other times it might not make sense. But it, I think it's reasonable to start thinking about having somebody who would be responsible for interceding and making sure that it's going in the right direction. Now, let me add this. I should have said this. I should have prefaced my remarks. In my 25 years, you know, in recruiting, I have to tell you, people in human resources, talent acquisition are, are tremendous people. I, I do believe that the vast overwhelming majority of these folks, they go into this space because they really want to help people. They want to make a difference. They want to help people. They get joy and they get a purpose and meaning when they're able to help people find jobs and, and, and knowing that they're happy, they're making more money. They're going, let's say from a bad situation to a better situation. And, and, and they, they value what they do. So it's not, an issue of HR or talent acquisition, I think is more of an issue of bureaucracy of large companies that one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. And anybody who spent two days in a, in a mid to large size company, you know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't work as well as you think it would be. 
You know, the people on top have no idea what the people over here are doing. The people in a group over there don't know what the other group is doing. So it's hard to make these things happen. So I just want you to kind of understand this is not pointing a finger at anybody. It's just the opposite. It's more like, how can we start having these conversations to make things better for everybody? Because I imagine you don't, no matter how angry you are as a job seeker, I think you'd under believe and understand HR doesn't want to have anything against you. They don't want to hurt your chances of getting a job. They don't want to be a jerk to you. They do better. And I imagine they get promotions and, and raises if they hire a lot of people and they stick and they're great. It's sometimes just the way these corporations operate. They're just missing the ball. And these are why these conversations are important. So let me turn back. So at, you need that mechanism to make sure that as you're going down that time continuum of interviewing, that it makes sense that the reasons for who you're meeting are logical, that you're not just piling on interview after interview because the hiring manager is indecisive. And let's call it the way it is. That does happen a lot. That doesn't mean you're a bad manager or a bad person. It's tough to make a decision like that. I, I hired people. I've hired so many people from my companies. I've had to lay off people from my companies. Trust me, it is not easy. It is not easy. And sometimes it's really tough to make a decision who you're going to hire. Because if you hire one, that means you're not hiring these other three people who also interviewed. So it's not an easy thing to do. It's really hard. And, I could, and, and it's particularly hard if you're in a big corporation and you feel that you make a hire and it's the and the person turns out to be really bad politically that doesn't bode well for you so the next time you want to do something they're going to question your judgment so what happens it's easier to have a decision by consensus so instead of you know the high, me it's, let's say I'm the hiring manager making the decision i put the decision on other people um, oh, we have to have Jane and Bob and Susan and this person and that person interview. It's so important. But really what they're saying is, I'm a little afraid to make that call. I'm worried if I make the wrong decision, is that going to impact my career? I'm worried maybe if I say something, they're going to accuse me of racism, sexism, religionism, thisism, thatism. And don't take that lightly. These are real concerns people have. And they don't talk about it, but I want to talk about it. Because that what's, that's like inside baseball, what's going on behind the scenes. So it's easier to get a whole bunch of people to be involved so you get cover. So then you can say, it wasn't me. Look, all these other people wanted to hire him or her. Or all these other people didn't want to hire them. So I'm off the hook. I would have hired the person, but no one else did. What am I going to do? I don't want to go. I trust my fellow employees. If they say no, well, so it's a cop-out. It's, it's an excuse to get out of it. This is why I go back to why you need this kind of mechanism where someone could be insert themselves to watch and say, hey, Jack, I, I, I see you're having a lot of interviews. You're meeting a lot of people. I, I, are you just kind of afraid to pull the trigger? Is that what it is? Can we talk about it? And then I might say, yeah, I am. Here, you know, here's what I'm dealing with. Can we talk? Can we brainstorm it? And I think that's healthy. And it's nothing to be ashamed of because it makes sense to have the, sometimes you need to say, yeah, I'm wrestling with this. I, 
I see that you see what I'm doing, that I'm dragging my feet because I really can't make that decision. And I'm a little nervous because I know this is a really critical hire and we need this right person and we need to come in under budget and so forth. So it's, it's, this is what goes on. I would also suggest that before anything starts, I probably should have said this in the beginning, you should really clear, you, company should be very clear in managing expectations. Managing expectations is so important when it comes to interviewing, it comes to your career, to your job, because you want to know what to expect. And oftentimes they'll say, hey, Jack, we want to interview you. Can you, you know, what's the best days and times and come in? All right, but that's it. But that's not really terribly helpful. Yes, you probably have the job description. Yes, you maybe kind of know the compensation, sort of, you're not sure. Now, do you really know the people you're going to meet with? Maybe, maybe not. Do you know how many people you're going to meet with? No. Do you know how long it's going to take? No. So think about that. If you're, you're from the corporate viewpoint in management, think how rough that is on the interviewer. You're going in blindly. And once again, I'm generalizing. I know some, I was on this call last night for uh, one of these Zoom called networking meeting run by this guy, Ken Lang, who I'll refer to later because he has another good idea that he gave me. And I don't want to say it was my idea because I'll, I'll defer to him later on. So um, what with that call, they were talking about these kind of issues where, you know, one company, I think uh, I could be mis, uh, misspeaking, this uh, woman mentioned she interviewed with American Express and she was really impressed because before the interview, they explained what the salary would be. And, you know, you're not going to ever get an exact salary, but, you know, you get a range, you know, in terms of what the salary would be, what kind of bonus expectations, what kind of other benefits and other, other things that would make sense, uh, you know, that you would want to get. When they're interviewing, they would get the LinkedIn bios of the people, who they are, their titles, a little color. When they interview, they'll get feedback, constructive criticism, suggestions, and this would go on and, and they would stay in contact throughout the whole process. Now, in today's day and age, that seems revolutionary. It's like, oh my God, that's wild that they do that. When I first started recruiting, that's exactly what would happen, except for the LinkedIn bios, because they didn't have LinkedIn back then when I started, because like I'm old. So, so they, you know, it was more just having the conversations where they would tell me as let's say a recruiter, hey, Jack, can you prepare so-and-so to meet with this person? This is what they should know. Here's a little bit about the hire manager. You know, here's what they do. And then they also give tidbits about them from a personal standpoint. So you can relate. Maybe they're, you know, a New York, Jets fan or a New York Giants fan or a hockey fan. So the other person, oh my, so am I, that's great. So you have initial bonding. So I think for companies, it would make a lot of sense to start to manage the expectations right from the beginning. You know, a range of the salary, what kind of bonus to expect, what kind of benefits package would you get? How many people are you gonna meet with? Why do you have to meet these people? Here are the bios and, and, and background and color on these folks you're gonna meet with, the time frame you're gonna do it, when they feel they'll come up with an answer, 
maybe even how many people you're up against. So you know whether you should stick through six interviews or if you find out that there are 20 people, uh, maybe not 20, but let's say there's 10 people in there, you might say, huh, I know I'm good, but there's 10 other people, I'm not really that good. Do I want to invest all this time and energy? I have some other things going on too. Maybe I'll, I'll tap out. Or maybe there are five people and you say, huh, five people I know I have like eight and a half of the stuff that this company wants. So I, I think I'm a strong contender. I'm going to ride this out. I'm going to take it. And, and then what did you say? Six interviews? I can manage six interviews. And each interview is how long about? Half an hour? All right, it's totally worth it. But it, then the candidate, the applicant can make an intelligent decision. They can make a decision to say, hey, I'm going to ride on this Bronco and stay on it because I could last longer than the other person. Or you might say, you know what, six, seven interviews over four months, I can't, I can't do. I just got too much going on. I have a job, so I don't need a job. Thank you. Maybe we'll, I'll, you know, we'll meet up again in the future. And that's fine because now everyone's on the same page. You get me? So this way, everybody knows, okay, I know what I'm going in for. I know if I'm going through this process, here's going to be the general salary. Now, it might not be exact, but at least I have a good feel for it. I have a good feel of the people I'm going to meet with. I'm going to have a good feel of how long it's going to take. So then when you're interviewing, you feel much more comfortable because you know what to expect. When you don't know what to expect, it's tough because you're always flying blind. You don't know what's going to happen next. You're always on edge. So if companies would do this and manage expectations from the beginning, you can make the candidate feel much more comfortable. And if you're comfortable, I know this for a fact from doing so long, if a candidate is comfortable, they're going to do well in the interview. Because it's like anything in life. If you feel confident and comfortable and relaxed, you're going to be your true self. You're not going to force things. You know, I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing now in this media, I feel super comfortable, even though it's weird because I see myself back in the camera instead of seeing people, I probably would be better having some people to, to look at, but I, I, I'm kind of dealing with it and figuring it out, but I feel comfortable doing it. And I feel I could be myself <coughs> in, this, in this type of medium. Same thing, you wanna find your comfort zone. So if you're comfortable, you know, because you know what to expect, you're gonna perform better. Conversely, when people are they don't know what to expect. They're not sure what the salary is. They're not sure who they're meeting with, why they're meeting with, where do they fit in this context. It's hard to come across well because there's just too much uncertainty. And once again, this is not hard to do. How hard is it to say, hey, here's the salary range. Here's what we anticipate how long it's going to take. Here's the 10 people, or five people, or four people you're going to meet with, and here's the bios. It's like so easy to do. And that's what's like all these things are achievable. Nothing is really so out of the realm like, ah, oh, no, this is impossible. This is, this is, this is, you can't do that. Now, I have something, this might be controversial, not to job seekers, to companies. You know how you have focus groups where uh, I've never been part of, but you know, you always hear about and see of them where you see a commercial, you know, with a pretend focus group, you know, is this Coke or is this Pepsi? Is this whatever, you know, or whatever. And they pay people for that, right? You, you know, we all got the, get these things. Hey, do you want to do this survey? Oh, do you want to be in this focus group? Oh, do you want to be part of this, whatever it is? And they give you a stipend, right? They give you not much, maybe a gift certificate, maybe a few bucks, maybe whatever, but they give you something for your time. Now, wouldn't it be fair 
if you expect a person, a busy person who has a job or even they don't have a job to take a lot of time out of their day to go on one interview, two interview, three interview, four interview, 10 interviews, spending hours because the interview isn't just that one interview is getting to the interview let's 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 presume when we go back to the when some people go back to the office it's it's going to the interview coming back from the interview the dead time in between while you're waiting around for it all the time you're preparing for the interview beforehand wouldn't it be reasonable to offer some sort of compensation for the person's time it could be a gift certificate doesn't have to be much it could be a gift certificate. It could be a little stipend. It could be 20 bucks. It's the principle more than anything. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be a professional interviewer because I'm going to keep getting money every time I interview. Nah, it's something to show. It's something to show candidates that you care. You know, it's not necessarily the gift certificate for Target or for Amazon. It's the thought. Right? Isn't that what we all say? It's the thought that counts. A lot of people may say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need, I don't shop at such and such place. That's okay. But the thought, because then as an applicant, let's say you don't get the job, there's a little bit of a better appreciation. You're like, huh, that was kind of nice of them. They didn't have to do that, but they did that. Huh. Whereas the opposite happens when you're treated shabbily, when they're rude and inconsiderate, there's no, there's gaps in communication. There's ghosting. You walk out like, wow, this is, I, what a bad experience. And if you have a bad experience, I find out, think about this most times. If you have a great experience, you love talking about it. If you have a horrible experience, you love talking about it. In between, meh, because it's not a story. So the bad experience, they're going to tell your, you're going to tell your family, your friends, your coworkers that you could trust that's not going to blow up your spot that you're looking. And then they're going to think next time about, hmm, do I want to go to that company? I remember Jack saying he went there and had a really horrible experience. Maybe, you know, I'll take a pass. You know, why, why am I going to put myself through that? So what ends up happening, it hurts the company's brand. Whereas if they put in these other measures, the dedicated interviewer, a way for someone to step in if they find that these interviews are going on too long, all of a sudden, even if you don't get the job, you walk away saying, hey, you know what? They really cared about me. You know, they tried to make that process really smooth. They were managing my expectations. They were doing a lot of things. You know, I'm bummed I didn't get the job. I wanted the job. But, you know, I, I think it's great. The same way that woman talked about that, you know, American Express story. And that was a reason. I think that happened a while back, but it stuck with her because it stood out. It stood out from so many companies who don't do that, who do the opposite. And what happens? I heard that story and I thought it's really interesting and I told it here. So then someone might watch this and share it with someone else. So it, it, it helps out. It behooves the companies to do this because it's good for their brand. It's good for their image. It's good for public relations. And it's, and it's good business too, because then you're going to get a reputation for being really good to people. And then they can say, well, if they're really good to me in the interview process, they could probably be really good to me when I work there. And I'll tell you this, candidates say this to me all the time. If it's a rude process and a bad process, they'll say, ah, 
the way they treated me in the interview, even though they gave me the offer, I'm scared what they're going to do to me once I'm there. Because I really didn't feel comfortable with this whole process. And if that's how they're treating me before I'm working, what are they going to do when I'm there? And this happens all the time. And speaking of that, so I mentioned about Ken Lang. He's a career coach, really nice guy, a friend of mine. I met him a couple of years back at this thing called the Breakfast Club on, on, on Saturdays once a month in New Jersey. They would have speakers just talk about like we're doing now, talk about different career-related matters, job, you know, people who are looking for jobs and so on. And we've kept in touch. And uh, he posted about um, a bill of rights for job seekers. And once again, it's one of these things that when you hear it, you're like, huh. And at first you're probably, because we're so used to it is what it is, that you hear anything new, you're like, nah, never gonna work. Think about what he's advocating is basically what I was just talking about, is to have companies adopt a bill of rights, whether it's called that or anything else, which kind of maps out what they're going to do and how they're going to treat people through the whole interview process. So that when you go to a company, you feel that someone's looking after you, that they care about you, that you're just not just, just a piece of meat or you're just not a cog in the machinery that's just going through on a conveyor belt along with everybody else, that you're a human being, that they have interest in you, they care about you, they want to make sure you have a good experience, that you're taken care of, you're not taken advantage of. And I think that's very reasonable. And how great would that be? And I think once again, for companies, what great public relations is that? That you could say on your website, hey, we have a bill of rights for our job seekers, for the candidates, for the people who interview with us, because we treasure that. We appreciate that they're taking the time and energy out of their day to meet with us as opposed to meeting with our competitors. And because you're doing that, we want to make sure you have a really good experience with us. Now, it doesn't mean we can guarantee you get a job because no one could really do, you can't do that. No one's going to do that. You don't know, but at least what you can control is have that experience where you feel you've been heard. They value you. They listen to you. You're given a chance to really market and sell yourself to get that job. And I think that's all fair. You know, and that's, I think, not anything unreasonable. So, and, and of course, because I'm working from home, so the phone rings because I'm one of these, I think one of the last three people on the planet that have a landline. I'm not sure why we still have it, but we do. And all we do is get work calls about, hey, your warranty or your mortgage or whatever. So, yeah, so this is food for thought. And if, if I can honestly say that a year and a half ago, two years ago, before you know COVID hit, I probably never would have brought this up because I, I'm guilty as anyone else. You get ingrained that this is how things are. You know, this is how we've done things. This is how we always do things. And this is how we always will do things. And you're just, okay, that's how it is. But to me, once we did that remote work and it used to be, let's, let's be frank, for the most part, and I'm not pleased, I don't mean anything for people who are, trendsetters and working remote before, but those were the exceptions. Those were the rarity. I don't know the percentage, but I would hazard a guess, you know, 5% or less were remote workers two, three, four, five, 10 years ago. 
So I, I kind of was like, hmm, I don't know. Is it? But then, you know what? Once the remote work showed that it worked, companies like Amazon and Apple and Facebook and Google and Microsoft just rocketed. Their stock prices just whoosh. Stock market on fire, real estate doing really well. So it shows it worked. So to me, that's the best test ever. It's like we ran an experiment. Like we never would have done this two years ago. Let's run an experiment and try to make, have everybody work remote. Companies wouldn't do that. They say, you're, you're, you're nuts. It's not going to happen. But COVID forced us to do it and we did it and it worked. So once that works, to me, I feel if someone says, no, you, this can't happen. No, no, it always has to be this way. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Because the biggest change happened and it worked and it worked well. Now, did it work well for everybody? No, but nothing's going to work well for everybody. You know what I mean? You're not going to get a hundred percent. There's always going to be challenges. You know, for instance, myself, I have a challenge where I'm working remotely by myself. I have to figure out the lighting. I have to make sure everything works. I have to worry about the internet connectivity. This morning I had some calls with, with a client and you have one of those what? I can't hear Jack. What? And it's mortifying. You know, it's really embarrassing and mortifying. That was, so nothing is perfect, but it, it, overall it worked. So give it some thought. I know I kind of put a lot out there. Definitely check out my article on Forbes. You can just Google Jack Kelly Forbes and you could read about it. And me, I think I could also attach it. I could put this on LinkedIn and attach it too, so you can read more about it. But I think this goes under the heading of we're in a new era now. We're in this post-pandemic era now. And I know someone says, no, we're still in the pandemic. I, I'm, I'm talking generally loosely, you know? So we're in this new era where things are possible and change is going to be happening. And I think for not only job seekers, but all sorts of workers should start thinking about, wait a minute, do I have to take the status quo? Or should I go to my boss and imagine say, wait a minute, there has to be a difference. There's a better way. Let's work. Let's figure it out together. I want to work remote or I only want to work two days in the office or I want staggered hours or I want a four hour, you know, five hour workday and so on. I think we're at the time we could start having these conversations. And I think because it's becoming a hot job market now in some sectors, much more than others, but since we're having a hot job market, this is when you have the chance to do it. If it's not a hot job market, then companies could say, meh, we don't need you because we have plenty of people, you know, and we're actually letting people go. So we don't need you. But in a hot job market, the people have the power. You have the cards. So this is the time to advocate for yourself and figure out what you want to do, what would make your work or life work balance better and go after it. So I hope this is helpful. Gives you some insights, ideas, gives you some hope that things could get better and there could be change and it doesn't have to be the way it is. And this is Jack Kelly. Jack Kelly, let's go live with Jack Kelly and talking about the future of work. And I hope uh, you found this interesting. Um, thank you for watching and feel free to hit me up, call me, send me emails, texts, if you have any questions or if you have any ideas and suggestions, you know, to talk on the show, because I, I, I get some great ideas from people just like, you know, Ken today, you know, where, you know, come up with really super smart, intuitive ideas. And I'd uh, love to hear yours. So thank you very much for watching and listening. Have a great day.